Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm your Dana Asban, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masech Shabbat Kuf Mem Chet, 148. We're really getting into the home stretch here. Uh, just a reminder that there are two wonderful opportunities to uh, finish up Masech Shabbat with us, uh, both on Sunday, August 9th. Uh, the first is at 10 a.m. Uh, East Coast time and 5 p.m. in Israel. We'll be having our Talking Talmud Siyam, where we will get to hear from our wonderful co-learners, and some of their thoughts on Masach Shabbat. And then at 1.30 p.m. Uh, East Coast time and 8.30 p.m. Israel time, we will also be joining Hadron, um, our wonderful hosts, um, and helping them finish up uh, Masach Shabbat. And I have the privilege of introducing uh, Masach Ruven, which is where we will be moving. On, uh, there's no break when you do Dafyomi, so we'll be getting right into that as well. Um, so without further ado, let's, uh, get into, as I just said, there's no waiting. Uh, so let's get into today's staff. So we're going to start here with the Mishnah, um, uh, that's on Amr Aleph. Uh, so here the Mishnah is going to be talking about basically financial or monetary dealings that may take place on, uh, Shabbat or Yom Tov. And the case here is a person is allowed to borrow a pitchers of wine or pitchers of oil from a friend on Shabbat. Right, as long as he doesn't say the words halaveni, lend me. Um, and also, a woman can borrow loaves of bread from her friend. And let's say the lender is worried that the person who's doing the borrowing is not going to pay them back. So the borrower can leave, you know, their talit or some sort of their cloak, some sort of object with the lender, right, with the idea that they'll come back with money later and then they'll get the tali back. Right, and then after Shabbat, they can make the cheshbon. Um, and then they're going to talk about a special halacha with uh, Yom Tov. If Erev Pesach falls out um, uh, on Shabbat, right, so Pesach, the first day of Pesach would be on Sunday, but it's on Shabbat itself. And I love how it gives the detail of in Yerushalayim, because this has to happen in Yerushalayim, because this is where the Korban Pesach is brought, right? This couldn't be true in the Golan or somewhere else in the country. Maniach talito etzlo. So let's say it's Erev Pesach, it's Shabbat itself, and you still need to buy your Korban Pesach, right? So the person who's buying the Korban Pesach can go on Shabbat to get the Korban that they need, right? Uh, to get the lamb that they need. And obviously they can't exchange money because it's Shabbat, so they can leave their talit and then, um, and then, and then after Yom Tov, meaning after Sunday, okay, they can go ahead and they'll make their cheshbon. Um, So very, very interesting Mishnah, which sort of explains, you know, obviously recognizes there may be circumstances where sort of some sort of transaction is going to happen on Shabbat or Yom Tov. And how do we do that in a way that's fair to the lender? Um, but is not really, you know, doing an exchange of money itself. So now I want to spend a little bit of time on the Gemara itself. Amar le Rabba Bar Rav Hanan Labai. So Rabba Bar Rav Hanan said to Abai the funny, Maishna Hashileni Umaishna Halibani. So Rabba Bar Rav Hanan is paying very close attention to the language of the Mishnah, which we've seen before, where it said specifically, right, that you're not allowed to say the words Halibani. Right. But I guess you could say Hashilani. So, Anne, how would you like translate these two differently? Because to me, they both would be like, lend to me. But I guess 
you know, the Gemara is going to explain it, but in English, how would you translate these differently? I think, I think it's tricky in English, right? Because it's an issue of, in English, we have borrow and lend. And the person who lends is not the bar, right? In Hebrew, that term is almost the same, right? Like, it's right. like, we have it in English, the tricky part would be to rent. You're renting your house or you're renting out your house, right? It's a very tricky fine line between are you the person who owns and is renting to somebody else and here are you or are you the person who is actually um, temporarily living in somebody else's house right so loaning lending same problem here in 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 england in in english we have different words we don't have a uh the same word applying in the same way right exactly so i think that's one of the things a little bit confusing here about the gemara's discussion um, Amarle, so Abai replies, Hashileni, right? If the bar says Hashileni, lo ate then the lender won't come to write down the loan. Why is that? Because Hashileni implies, okay, that the borrower is going to return this very, very quickly, right? That in other words, this is sort of a quick loan, right? You borrow it, you're going to pay it back very, very quickly. So you don't even sort of need to write it down. Haliveni, though, but if you say Haliveni, the lender will come to write it down because that language has an implication of being sort of a longer term loan, right? Maybe you'll take a month to pay the person back. So I think for us English speakers in particular, this mission is interesting because it's giving us a nuance of language in another language that, you know, we just don't necessarily have or are not necessarily sensitive to, but fascinating to see how it actually impacts halakha. I think also, also it's the difference between uh, for example, we have this concept in English also, right? When do you write an IOU, right? If you lend somebody $10,000, even if you're not going through the bank and you don't need a formal contract, you're still going to have some kind of IOU that you're going to write it up. Nobody's going to forget about it, but you want it specific. So I, the concept in, in halacha is that there's a star chov, that any time you have a formal loan, you're going to have a document to that effect. And the Archa Shulchan speaks about this in the way we lend money all the time nowadays. Like, oh, do you have $5? I can, you know, go to the, to get a cup of coffee, right? Whatever. And that's not the kind of loan. According to the Archa Shulchan, he says, this is a, a book of halacha, of course, but he says, that's really a gift. And you hope that you'll also get a gift in return, right? Meaning the, it's a much more casual exchange of money as opposed to a formal loan where you are expecting you know, date and time of repayment. And right. so that's like a Hashilani loan. Exactly. Right. That's a Hashilani loan. So Rava Bar Rav Hanan, you know, now wants to explore this a little further with the Bayi. Right. But on weekdays, right, there are times where, you know, the person who's borrowing wants to say Halibani, meaning they don't want to pay it back right away. But Amarle Hashilani. But instead, he may mistakenly say hashileni, the low kapid ilve. But the lender is not particular with him. In other words, the lender is not going to say, wait, wait, wait. You said, you know, hashileni. Are you saying, therefore, you're going to pay me back right away? In other words, no one's particular with this language on a weekday. But ati lemichtev, right? And the, the lender is still just going to write it down because he understands this might be a more long-term loan. Bishabat nami ati lemichtev. So aren't we still afraid that even if someone says Hashileni on Shabbat, maybe the bar, the lender is still going to come to write it down, right? Because we're just not so really careful about that difference in the language. Amarle, so Abayi replies, Behold, Loshna, ki Amarle Halibini, Loshna ki Amarle Hashileni. So he agrees. He says, on weekdays, 
whether the borrower is going to say Halibani or Hashiwani, lo kapidan ilave, right? We're not, we don't, we're not so particular about it. We don't get so caught up in the language, which is so interesting to me because we're making such a distinguishing uh, thing about the language and that they really do imply certain things. All right. In other words, the lender is just going to write down the loan if he feels he needs to write it down. But on Shabbat, right? Only Hashileni is allowed by Rabbanan. Halibani lo Sharule, right? And the language of Halibani is not allowed by the rabbis. Minakre milse. So when he says Hashileni, it's evident below and he's not going to write it down. So in other words, Abai is saying something almost opposite, which is in a way the rabbis did this so that you could have something be allowed to be borrowed on Shabbat. Because by making us sensitive to that language on Shabbat, that's what ensures that nobody's going to write something down. So on the weekdays, we don't have to be careful about it because if the, lend- if the lender b- writes it down, who cares? But what the rabbis did was by making one of those languages, right, the Halibani, which is more the long-term loan, in a way, therefore, we're guaranteeing that when someone says Hashileni, they know the lender knows not to write it down. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, resolution to this problem. Um, the Gemara then is going to go on and share uh, two more exchanges between a uh, Rabbah Bar Rav Hanan and Abai, which I thought were interesting and worth sharing. Amr le Rabbah Bar Rav Hanan le Abai. Amr Rabbanan, kol mile de yom tov, kama de efshar l'shanui mishananin. Right? The rabbi said that all things that are allowed on yom tov, right, that were that are permitted to be done on yom tov, right, still you should try to do it in a way that's different, right? We've talked a lot about this, that maybe there are certain activities that we're allowed to do on Shabbat, at least, right? That, um, you know, look like something that we do on whole, that, you know, on a non-Shabbat day. So we change it a little bit. We do a shinui, a deviation, just to make it clear that it's like, we know that we're doing this on Shabbat and we're not doing it the regular way, right? So here we're talking about Yom Tov, right? But that, yes, there are activities that you're allowed to do on Yom Tov, right? Probably particularly pertaining to the preparation of food, but it still is good to do it with a, with some sort of deviation. So now he has a particular case. Right? But there are women who fill their buckets with water, right? And then they carry them home. My time alone is shining. And they don't deviate. They just do it the way that you do it. And so Abaye therefore goes through an explanation about why, you know, why that is. That in other words, there's really no way to actually change how you would... Um, how you would actually uh, take what, how you actually can collect and carry water, right? Because there's no way. Right? If you say that they should just draw water with a larger bucket, right? Sorry, if you're saying that they draw with a larger bucket, what should they do? Draw with a smaller bucket? So then they would have to keep going back and forth more often. They'd have to make more trips. Right? If you say that those who draw with a small bucket, they should draw it with a larger bucket, then that actually increases the load. In other words, they're increasing their exertion uh, on Shabbat, and that's not a good thing to do. Nifrus uh, Sudra, right? So maybe they should put a kerchief over the bucket, but then the kerchief would become wet, and what would they do? They would do skita. They might squeeze it out, right? Going back to our towel discussion. Right? Maybe they should cover the bucket with a lid. Right. But let's say the cord that's attaching the lid to the bucket breaks, they're going to come to tie it. Hilkaklo Efshar. So he's saying there's really no way this just happens to be something. There's no way to actually do it differently. So I think that's very interesting. That in other words, don't do a shinoi 
if it's going to cause you to end up doing something else that you're not allowed to do. And I think that's an important concept uh, when it comes to um, Shinoi. Anything you want to add to that, Anne? Well, I don't want to add to that. I want to throw a monkey wrench. I found this whole discussion of the loan on Shabbat, right, with, I'm going back to the that part, um, the loan on Shabbat, I appreciate the difference between the more formal loan and the, and the casual, you know, sharing of what you own. But we also have a thing on Shabbat about not making kinyanim on Shabbat, a kinyan, right, which is how you have a formal act of acquisition where you take possession of the thing that you are borrowing or owning or whatever and i'm puzzled as to why this is not part of the discussion here how's that from right i hear i hear what you're saying that is a good monkey wrench i don't have a good answer but that is i mean it may well be that we're gonna come to a discussion of that as we go on right in the dust so i think it's because here it's just an exchange like they're just recording the exchange it's not a full discussion of it but why wouldn't the gemara get into a full discussion that's never stopped them before (laughs) So, uh, well, you know, let's keep it in mind as we go. Uh, unless the only thing is that maybe lending doesn't really require a Kenyan in the same way that that right. full ownership does, except for that I've never heard that either. So who knows? Okay. Right. Meaning right. I, okay. I throw it out as a, something to continue to think about. Um, I want right. to and jump then, down. Oh, wait. I just oh, wanted sorry. to do the last the last one. Here, ah, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. But I'm really Rav by Rav Hanan Labai. And so then here's the last one, which I think is fascinating. Uh, so he goes to a Mishnah here. It's not. Right, we don't clap hands or beat our chest or dance on Yom Tov, right? And so that that's the halacha there that we're not supposed to sort of um, why is dancing forbidden? Because maybe you'll come to fix an instrument and because you want to play an instrument on Yom Tov. But we see that people do this. And yet we don't see that people rebuke them. So he's making an interesting observation that there are certain uh, sort of behaviors which are actually a sort to do on Yom Tov, but we sort of, society is allowed that sort of like everybody does it and we don't see that anybody's rebuking them. And so he's basically asking Abai, why is it that we're not correcting people? Um, and I could see how this happens, right? We do a lot of singing on Yom Tov or there's a lot of, right? There's an actual mitzvah to have simcha on Yom Tov. So, you know, that's what he's basically asking. So Abai therefore is gonna respond uh, this way, Ulatamech, right? According to your reasoning, Hada Amarava. This is what Rabba said. Lo inesh apuma right? A person can't sit on the edge of a lechi. So we're going to talk a ton about this with a Reuben. I'm not going to get into all the details of this because this would take a long time. But basically, you can't carry in something that's called a mavoi, which is an alleyway that has three walls, unless there's sort of an adjustment that you make to the open side. Um, and so let's say you're sitting on the edge, uh, you know, of, of this alleyway. And then an object that you're holding can roll away from you and go into the Rashusa Rabin. And then what's good, you're going to do, you're going to go out and carry it back. So even though you were at the limit of where you could carry, right, you, you're sitting at the edge and let's say it goes to the Rashusa Rabin, right? So people would sometimes sit this way. But right? And we also see that women put their buckets, right? And they also sit at the edge of this alleyway, below Amrin and Luhu, below Midei. And we don't say anything to them. We don't tell them, hey, be careful. You're going to come to actually do Hotsa, right? So what does he explain? Ella Hainichli Yisrael. Rather, what? Let these Jews do this. 
it's better that they do these things unintentionally, right? The showgate and not deliberately bemazed. So fascinating, fascinating principle here. Then in other words, it's almost like what Abai is saying. You need to know when to pick your battles. There are just going to be certain activities that people do that are technically, you know, sort of like okay to do, or maybe they're not okay to do, right? Like technically you can clap and dance, right? The reason for not doing it is because of the musical instrument thing. So that's why we said it was a sword to do, right? Where these people are sitting, they shouldn't really sit. Even though technically in the moment, they're not doing anything wrong because we don't want them to lead to something that they're going to do something that they shouldn't do, which is hotza, right? But the idea is these are the types of things that are so commonly done that if you end, no one's going to actually listen to your rebuke. So better people do it bishogate um, than do it bemazing. And then the Gemara gets into a discussion about whether there's a difference between a biblical law or a rabbinic law uh, when we actually um, when we actually rebuke something. Um, and they even show, uh, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through it, uh, but they even show that even with a biblical law, right, specifically with Yom Kippur, people who maybe are eating a little bit later than they should be eating, um, we don't rebuke them. We don't tell them to stop. So I just thought that this was a very uh, concept and shows that sort of like Chazal, even as much as like they put up um, all these Gedders or, you know, have all these Halachot around Yom Tov and Shabbat or in other areas of law where really on a technical level that activity may be allowed, but Chazal is going to come and say, we don't do X, Y, and Z thing because we want to make sure that we don't violate another rabbinic or biblical decree. Yet at the same time, Abai is saying like, there are going to be certain things that people are just going to do, and it's sort of just not worth rebuking them. Let them do it bishoge. Let them not realize that they're doing it, uh, that they're doing something wrong, because these are not things. They're so part of like human nature or the way people spend their day that you're just gonna, you're not going to get anywhere. Which then leads me to the question of, okay, but then why make, uh, why make that a law or something that's a sort of do if you know it's something. Uh, people can't necessarily, or sort of the masses can't follow. I think that's a much longer discussion, uh, but I thought a great piece of Gemara here. Oh, so that's a different angle. I see my question always about this, you know, better that they should, better that they should do it Bishogeg is the, uh, what, the paternalistic nature of that, right? Meaning we're going to leave people in ignorance rather than let them make the choice to to do the right thing, right? We're going to assume that they're not going to do the right thing. Uh, you know, which, I'm not saying that it's not better to do it because you're not going to get punished. But on the other hand, they're the purist in me likes that, you know, everybody should know everything and then, and then make their decisions and hopefully everyone decides, right. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I, you, there's something about this. Like when you first read it, you're like, Oh, that's nice. Like we're not going to bother people. if We know they can't do it, but there is something about it. Like you said, there's something paternalistic or, it makes me feel something like is halacha therefore really just for people who you know who can keep it? I, there is something about it that I need to unpack a little bit. I'm not going to do it today, but something to think about. And I'm curious to see if we'll see this theme come up again. Oh, I'm sure we will eventually, right? We've got to still, we still have most of Shas to get through. Um, most of Shas. <laughs> uh, okay. I want to jump down to the bottom of Amabet. Um, there's actually a lot going on in Amabet that I would be very happy to talk about, but in the interest of time and not overwhelming our podcast today there's two things i want to do one is the final mission of the daf which will also help us get ready for tomorrow's day um but also there's there's a statement that we have touched on you know over throughout the part of shas that we have dealt with already namely halacha kistam mishnah right the idea that when you have 
voices in the Mishnah, right? You have debate in the Mishnah. We very often see the names of the Tanayim. We see Rabbi Shimon, we see Rabbi Meir, we see any number of different names, Rabbi Ezra, Rabbi Yochan, whatever. We also see the anonymous voice, right? The Mishnah begins and it ends, and we don't always have names assigned to the different views that are represented there. And then we talk about the first view of the Mishnah and the second view of the Mishnah, right? And and of course, then the question is always going to be, if you have multiple views, who are you going to postulate? like? And if you know, um, you know, which authority, under which authority each statement is made, then we can apply principles of, you know, we very often say, according to this person in these areas of halacha, according to a different person in a different area of halacha, and so on. So this general statement, and it's a general statement, I can't say that there's no exception to it, is halacha kistam mishnah, that when in a Mishnah, you have uh, an anonymous text, meaning there's no name ascribed to the view, and there's a machloket with a view that comes you know, with a rabbi's name, then the presumption is, the given is, that the psak is going to follow the position without the name. And the assumption then is that the, the named view is, is preserved for the sake of maintaining the minority opinion, giving a kavod, giving honor to the person who did say it, and so on. So I just want to read this inside where we have an actual discussion of this principle, um, really towards the bottom of the daf. Where does Rabbi Yochan say this thing that, well, again, this is coming off of all the discussion on the Mishnah and so on, that Yerdana just, you know, presented so beautifully, and then it, it continues on, and, and it has all kinds of other applications of the same discussion. Rabbi Yochanan said, That is, so here we have a named position, a named person, Rabbi Yochan, taking the position that Halacha Kistam Mishnah Utanan, and he has a proof text for it from the Mishnah. Lo makdishin, velo marichin, velo machrimin, velo magbiin trumotu masrot, kol elo biyomto, amru, kalvachomer bishabbat, lo kashe kan bechovot shekavulahen zman, kan bechovot shein kavulahen bizman. So this is really an example of a case where we have a mission that doesn't have any um, attribution. Okay, and what is that whole unattributed mission? What does it talk about? It says you can't do all of these things. You can't designate something as hektesh to, to consecrate it to the Beit HaMikdash, or you can't take vows or other kinds of, um, where you set aside something to be for truma or for master and so on, different ties, right? And then if you can't do it on Yentif, and the presumption is here that you can't do any of these things on Yentif, if you're already not doing these um uh, I, transactions, let's call the right, because you're changing the nature of, of the item that you have from your property to the temple's property, let's say, as an example. You can't do it on Yantif, Kalvachomer, how much more so can you not do it on Shabbat? And the Gemara continues here, Lo kashya kan b'chovot zman. There's not, it's not a, it's not a problem here for Reb Yochanan's position, right? Now, again, this is all following on the previous stuff. What is he really talking about? The concern of whether you have obligations at a set time, or if or is this chovot that don't have obligations that do not have a set time, in which case you could therefore, if it's something that does not have any kind of set time, you can designate your gift to the Beit HaMikdash, whatever. Um, why is this relevant? This entire Mishnah here, the, the proof text Mishnah, does not have any um, author. It does not have any named author. So Rabbi Yochanan brings a statement about how we designate and do not designate um items to be sanctified or consecrated to the Mikdash on Shabbat without an authorship, because if we go back further, we have a whole discussion here 
um, of Rabbi Yochanan's position, Rabbi Ushaya's position about bringing Korban Pesach and um, and other and other ways that you would consecrate or dedicate your animals and other tithes, whatever, on Shabbat, on well, really on Yantif and then also on Shabbat. So I don't want the the example is complicated. Um, and the machloket on our daf is complicated, but the reason I wanted to focus on it is that we have, as your Dan and I spoke in preparation, we have mentioned this, you know, in passing that the halach is like the stam mishnah, where there's an anonymous mishnah. But here it's stated explicitly, and we thought that we should at least, you know, bring it out to your attention so that if you ever have the the rules of how we paskin from the pages of the Talmud, even though we don't. Paskin from the pages of the Talmud, how the Balei Halacha Paskin from the pages of the Talmud, I think is interesting and worth noting that there really are principles and they really do, you know, again, by and large, follow through from the Talmudic text to how we carry out our Halacha. And then just finally, I want to um, review this last mission on the Daf. The Gemara on this Daf, the commentary of it, right, is on the next, the Gemara on this Mishnah, pardon me, is on the next Daf. Here we go. But it's it's interesting. And it's it, it, to me, it, it kind of makes sense that this Mishnah follows the Mishnah Yerdana that you've just read in the in the sentence of in this context of like, what do we do and what do we not do on Shabbat? A person can count his guests, meaning the people who are coming to his meal, and he can also count the appetizers. But what does he have to do? He can't read it off. He has to just say it, but I'll pay us to say it um, from something that he just memorized. He remembers who everybody is and what everything is. A person can then, you can draw lots. What does it mean to draw lots? You can, or draw straws, right? That kind of thing, right? Have a lottery with the in in your children or or the household, everybody who's at the table. You just can't determine who's going to get the large portion versus a small portion via your essentially gambling kind of ways, right, from the table. Um, and again, you can, the Kohanim themselves could cast these same kind of lots to determine who is going to get which which section or which kind of kachim of the sanctified foods are designated only for the Kohanim to be eating on the particular festival and they can do for the type of food, but not for the particular portion. And what this all means, I find, I, I feel like now we're going to be in suspense until tomorrow, because I think that this requires an awful lot of unpacking, and the Gemara is going to help us do that. Well, with that, we'll conclude. That's our DAP for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about today's DAP. Uh, on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.